0: This Capital Ministries Bible study from President and Founder Ralph Drawlinger is entitled, The National Consequences of Rejecting the Doctrine of Sin. Many people today do not believe in the total depravity of man. Scripture is clear that man is fallen. In fact, God ordained the institution of government, primarily to restrain the latent sin nature of man. That's the primary reason government exists to believe the opposite, that man is basically good, is to reject scriptural truth. The late Francis Schaeffer, in his classic work, How Should We Then Live?, spoke euphemistically regarding the Statue of David, located in Florence, Italy, stating that it was and is the artistic epitome of humanistic ideology, that man is basically good. He quipped, If a woman was to wait to marry a living statue of David, she would never marry. Michelangelo's statue, not to be confused with the biblical David, represents the humanist belief that mankind will ultimately ascend to perfection. But the humanists are wrong. With the proliferation of violent groups riding in the streets, looting, murdering, attacking innocent and unarmed men, women, and children in the United States and other countries— It is naive to think the world will become a better place by the use of reason. Not so. God ordained government to use force to quell evil. Listen on and learn more about the doctrine of sin. You must know your stuff and have strong convictions about this. Our Introduction The necessity of any governing authority's proper understanding of sin cannot be overemphasized. Not only does the teaching of Scripture regarding the subject relate specifically to one's personal life, but it is foundational to one's professional understanding as a policymaker and law enforcer. Can you clearly think through the biblical answers to the following? How do you explain the dual nature of man? Does sin infect and affect more than just the person? And does sin infect and affect the whole world? These and other important topics will be addressed in this study. A biblically accurate, informed understanding of what the Scriptures say about sin will help you in a myriad of ways. It is foundational as to how you view the world. It is the proper remedy to national and international problems. To improperly diagnose an ailment is to fail to cure it. Again, this particular study focuses on what the Bible teaches about the total depravity of man, the doctrine of sin. In that there are many passages on this subject throughout scripture, I would like to focus on certain aspects that I think are most relevant to not only your personal life as a public servant, but your thinking and formation regarding public policy. How should a proper biblical understanding of certain aspects of sin inform and influence your thinking? This study is integral to your ability to form a Christian worldview. First, we will explore an accurate biblical definition of sin, and then we will segue into how one should best understand its origin and transference. Once we establish both of these fundamental premises of the doctrine, we will quickly pivot to surveying its manifest nature in the world from an individual understanding of sin to a corporate, national understanding of sin. Stay with me, and this process will become easier than you may think. Sin's Definition When discussing what the Bible teaches about sin and the fact that we live in a fallen world, an accurate understanding of what this means and does not mean is critically important. I like conservative theologian Wayne Grudem's working definition of sin, which is, Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. The Sermon on the Mount repeatedly makes it clear that sin is more than outward conformity to God's moral standards. It involves one's attitudes as well. For instance, in Matthew 5.22, anger is deemed sinful. So is lust, Matthew 5.28. Additionally, in that we were by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, verse three, God imputes a new nature into the believer— at the time of salvation and expects him or her to live according to his or her new nature. Cross reference Second Corinthians 5, 17, 2 Peter one verse four. The Greek word for sin hamartia means to miss the mark. Sin is more than self centeredness. I remember one of my mountaineering friends in the tent next to mine in the middle of the night, during a high wind storm at eighteen thousand feet elevation that lasted for three straight days, I might add. He asked me to help him memorize some scripture. Half asleep with chilled half-breaths, my first thought was, how selfish of him. Yes, he was being selfish, but he was expressing a good form of selfishness. In fact, much self-interest is approved in scripture. So selfishness is not a good definition of sin. When one is seeking to grow in his sanctification or to buffet his body and make it his slave. 1 Corinthians 9.27 He is empirically speaking, harboring and acting out on selfish desires. But God heartily approves of such things. Those are good selfish desires. On the other hand, a person's selfless devotion to a false religion will not please God, much less attain God's standard of sinlessness. So, selfishness is not a good one word definition of sin. Sin needs to be defined the way God defines it in His Word. Another way to say it is this Anything uncharacteristic of the communicable attributes of God that are present in an individual is sin. It is to miss the mark of His perfect acts, attitude, and nature about everything and anything at all times. It is no wonder, then, that Paul states in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin's Origin Sin was present in the angelic world before creation and the fall of man. This is evidenced by the fact that Satan and his demons rebelled and were cast out of heaven. Cross-reference Isaiah 14.12, Ezekiel 28.11-19, through and Luke 10.18, prior to the creation and fall of man in Genesis 1 and 3, respectively. Sin then entered the created world via the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3, 1 through 19. Eve trusted in herself, and then Adam trusted in himself over and above, trusting in what God had specifically commanded of them, that they thought they knew better than God, in essence, placing themselves above God and His ways, Genesis 3, 5, and rebelliously exchanging themselves for his place of sovereignty and authority. Sin's Manifestation in the Individual The Bible is clear that Adam's sin spread to all mankind in the sense of individuals. Again, Paul states in Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned. The psalmist says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Psalm 14, 3. And Solomon adds, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20. This is because sin is inherited from Adam. Paul explains it this way in Romans five twelve, which reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spreads to all men, because all sinned. Later, he adds in verse 18, speaking of Adam and Jesus respectively, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. In Romans 5.19, he adds in reference to Christ's work on Calvary, For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The best way to think about this is that Adam in the garden represented the total human race therein after when he was tested. Unfair? God is God, and this is the economy he chose. If one reasons that Adam's imputation of sin is unfair, then one must also reason Christ's imputation of righteousness as unfair. Scripture teaches the imputation of both the former by birth, the latter by believing faith. Notice both in the following passages, David best summarizes the existence of representational and inherent individual sin in Psalm fifty-one five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. John, in his gospel, teaches the latter. Chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Further, every part of the individual being has been infected by and affected by sin. In that mankind possesses an inherent sinful nature, man has a predilection for and does sin. Created in the image of God, which explains his goodness, he is nonetheless fallen, thus explaining his dual nature in a way unlike any other worldly philosophy can or does. Imago Dei, and simultaneous imputation, best and only explained the dueling nature found within man's existence since the Fall and throughout the ages. The Fall affected more than the soul of man. In addition, it infected the whole of the world. Critically important is this. The governing authority must possess a working comprehension of not only the theology of individual sin, but the theology of corporate sin. SIN'S MANIFESTATION IN THE WORLD Many passages speak of sin's manifestation in the world, stating the whole world has fallen, in contrast to defining sin as only individuals being indwelt and fallen. However, Many conservative theologians stop at individual sin and do not develop the concept of corporate sin. And yet the biblical concept of corporate sin is an area especially important to the understanding of political leaders and their policy formation, such as stating in the prologue, government exists in large part to quell sin and evil, per Romans 13:1 1-8, and 1 Peter 2:13 through 14 Equally important, then, to the effect of sin on a personal basis is its effect on the whole world. Conservative theologian Millard Erickson puts it best, "...the Bible teaches that evil has a status apart from and independent of any individual human will, a subsistence of its own. We occasionally refer to this reality as the world or cosmos." Theologian Herman Sass adds that the Greek word cosmos is oftentimes used in Scripture in juxtaposition to the kingdom of God, i.e., the world, is used by the Bible writers to depict the very embodiment of evil. The Foundational Passage This expansive idea of not only individual but corporate manifestations of the fall is supported from the beginning by the immediate results of the fall. Notice God's response in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till your return to the ground. The fall of Adam and Eve cursed not only them, but the whole earth as well. Have you ever wondered why nothing is easy in this life? It's hard to earn a living. It's hard to eat right. It's hard to stay in shape. It's hard to keep government on track. All serve to illustrate Genesis chapter 3. Until his return, mankind exists in a fallen world, both in an individual and corporate sense. Again and again, this hamartiological understanding and distinction is critically important for those who serve in government. The second law of thermodynamics, entropy, came into existence with the fall. Everything is constantly moving toward disorder, not perfection, which means the humanist's take on the Statue of David is an artistic, ideological misnomer. The following passages teach the corporateness of sin via the word world the functional passages. Further building out the doctrine of sin taken forward from Genesis 3 into the New Testament, this Old Testament concept of universal fallenness is depicted in part by the following passages. John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. John 15:18 through 19 if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. John 17:14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:21. For since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. John seventeen twenty five. 25 O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. John one 10 through 10-11 He was in the world, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. John 8:23. And he was saying to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. John 18.36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. 1 John two fifteen 15-17 Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And 1 John 5, 4-5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? states Erikson regarding the biblical use of the word world. The world represents an organized force, a power or order that is counterpoised to the kingdom of God. This is clear from all these passages. It's clear to see from a study of use of the word world that sin has infected and affected both individuals and the earth as a whole. Our application to the person. First John 1.9 states to believers, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The believer needs to walk with a clear conscience, keeping his or her sin account current with Christ. That is to say, one cannot walk in the power and control of the Holy Spirit and at the same time continually quench the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit convicts your conscience, you need to confess your wrongdoing to Him immediately in order to remain filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. To do otherwise is to short-circuit His indwelling empowerment. Keep a short leash on your sin, keep erasing it from your life, and thereby maximize your God-purposed potential in office and thereafter. It is normative for the believer to be victorious over sin in his or her personal life. To the Profession It is critically important for the public servant to view the world through the eyes of Scripture, that man is fallen and that government is meant by God to quell evil in the world. Government then is a manifestation of God's restraining grace in a fallen world. To view the world as basically good and in need of my reasoning abilities, as if others will come to the conclusion to do what's right when convinced intellectually, is naive and unwise, and at the very least, viewing the world through rose-colored glasses. The riots across the United States, the unrest in Lebanon, France and Syria, in Israel, Ukraine and Libya, and so many other places around the globe – only serve to illustrate the premise of this Bible study. Without strong government's intent on quelling evil, the fallen, sin nature of man will be increasingly on the rise. Governments and their leaders must send a constant message that sin will be punished. When I hear of government leaders trying to reason with terrorists who believe their deity commands them to kill us, I'm reminded of Mark Twain's saying about trying to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pig. May this be a basic conviction and understanding relative to your God-given job as a leader in government. May your convictions be based upon a scripturally solid understanding of sin. May humanistic naivete come to an end not only in the White House, but also on the Hill. Our conclusion. Make no mistake... An America directed by the ideology of secular humanism will only lead to an increasingly chaotic world. Man is totally depraved in his nature, not totally good. Whereas an America directed by leaders who understand the biblical doctrine of sin will lead to an increasingly peaceful world. This is clear from Scripture and history. This concludes our Bible study for this week. May God bless you deeply. And all you do in our great country and on the Hill, this is Frank Sontag.